I solve puzzles, you know. I mean, I, I make puzzles up and I get to solve them. I decide what puzzles to solve. My name is Nicholas Bolden, and I'm the Professor for Materials Theory at ETH Zurich. Tempo. That's what I think about when I think about Nicholas Bolden. Speed in her fingers while playing the clarinet. High pace when she's teaching and writing on the blackboard. Quick, and actually also very funny, when speaking to her students. You should have a periodic table, either in your head, um, or on your phone, or, or in your wallet. Very good, someone pulls out a periodic table card. Or on the front page of your notebook. Um, on your phone is a good one because I mean if you're at like a parties or something and you want to discuss uh, the electronic structure of lead I mean and you just can't remember if you, do, if you can't remember the next best thing is at least to be able to pull it out and, um, and you know Nicholas Bolden professor for materials theory at ETH Zurich her research is in the spotlight of her science community and countless committees Nicola has been awarded with loads of prestigious awards. And today she's in the spotlight of the ETH podcast. I'm Jennifer Kakshori, and right now I'm listening to a rehearsal of Nicola's chamber music ensemble in a meeting room on the ETH Hönkeberg campus during a short lunch break, right between teaching and working in the office. Nicola and other professors and researchers of the ETH are practicing the fourth movement of Mozart's clarinet quintet. Why out of all instruments did Nicola choose the clarinet? Yeah, so when I started school, actually, I, I wanted to play the cello. Um, and in my school, they gave us singing tests to see who was allowed to have a musical instrument. And I couldn't sing in tune. And so my, the music teacher said, I couldn't have a cello, but I could have a clarinet. <laughs> I think she thought because I, could, I was reasonably good in math, I could press the buttons and blow. And so I'd be okay in the back of the band. So, so. Why did you not become a musician? And why did you be, study chemistry rather than music? I think that um, being a full-time musician um, is perhaps something hard to contemplate if you don't come from a background where that's a normal career path. You know, we call it playing, right? For me, it was, which was play. And it would have been a big step to think of that as something that I could make a living from. I also think I was probably a little better in um, chemistry and and physical sciences than in, in music. It's also much easier to make a living if you're not absolutely the best in, in physical sciences and engineering. Music's much tougher, I think. Nicola is one of the top researchers in her field. A career in music is different than a career in science. So what actually is material science and materials theory? So material science is the science of stuff, of all of the stuff that's around us. It's all materials. And, and as material scientists, we try to understand how stuff works so that we can make it better. That's, that's what it is. Materials theory, we think about it rather than doing anything practical. So we think, we think about how stuff works and explain it and then propose how to make it better. 
For over 20 years, Nicholas Bolden has been researching materials that were believed not to exist. The ETH professor has already received numerous prestigious international awards for this pioneering work. So a multiferroic is a material that combines ferromagnetism, which is just a material that has a magnetic dipole moment, north and south poles, like a compass needle. And you can reorient this material, the, the magnetism in such a material with a magnetic field. So it combines that kind of fairly standard magnetic property with what's called ferroelectricity, which is an electric dipole with positive and negative charges that you can control with an electric field. And so both of these materials are fairly standard. Ferromagnets are what you stick your shopping list on your fridge with, for example. They're in your compass. In, I guess people don't have compasses anymore, but in an old-fashioned compass needle. Um, in transformer cores, for example, are ferromagnets. And ferroelectrics are also fairly standard material. They're used as sensors and, um, for example, the little device you light your barbecue with, the spark that comes from a ferroelectric material. Um, and in a multiferroic, it combines these two. And that's what's unusual about it? That's what's unusual. The combination of ferromagnetism and ferroelectricity, that's why we call them multiferroics, um, that's unusual to have the two behaviors in the same material. Now, I said at the beginning of this episode, tempo was something that comes to my mind when I think about Nicola Spalden. She's very down to earth, ready for anything. At the same time, There's also a modest and careful side to her during our interview. She doesn't really like it when I mention her fame. So I'm not sure that the concept of a science celebrity really exists. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly never the case that I'm walking down the street and anybody would recognize me. So, you know, I, I don't think there's that um, division between private and, and public. Yeah, no, I would dispute science celebrity as a term, I don't think. <laughs> Maybe if Einstein was still alive, he would be recognized. But I don't think there's any scientists that the general public recognize by sight. So, <laughs> But if you look up Nicola's name, you'll find loads of reports, films and articles online. And after just a click, it becomes obvious that Nicola is among the top scientists worldwide. She would probably debate that, but Well, yeah, I doubt so many media reports are exaggerated. To me, Nicola seems to do everything with ease, playing the clarinet, teaching and talking about her research. Is there anything she's not good at? Things I'm not good at? Well, I'd say there's only three things I can do. I can do um, materials physics, I play the clarinet and I, I like to play in the mountains. I wouldn't say playing in the mountains is a talent. I just enjoy hanging out in, in beautiful mountain places. And those are the only three things I can do. So the rest of the infinity minus three of other things, I'm very bad at. Okay. <laughs> This is often written as T over the Fermi temperature, where... Um, So to tell you something about myself, my math grades weren't really great. Same with physics and chemistry. For this podcast, I went to one of Nicola's classes on Hönkerberg. Content-wise, I'm still clueless about what she taught that day. I saw Greek letters, numbers and diagrams on the blackboard. Even though I didn't understand anything, Nicola's enthusiasm in class was contagious. For the first time in a while... I felt like I wanted to go back to school and be taught by Nicola Spalden herself. I wonder what keeps her going, where her motivation actually comes from. Per unit volume. 
I can't Im- imagine being unmotivated about, you know, what I do for my, my profession is I solve puzzles, you know. I mean, I, I make puzzles up and I get to solve them. I decide what puzzles to solve. Um, and so motivation is not really, really a quest. Nicola and her colleagues' groundbreaking research could trigger a revolution for our electronic devices and computers. Multiferroics are destined for ultra-fast, extremely small and very energy-efficient computers of the future. They could replace the silicon in chips for which today's computers and smartphones owe their computing power. One of my, I'd say my favorite multiferroics is bismuth ferrite. So it's a compound of bismuth, iron and oxygen. Um, it's magnetic from the iron. Of course, we know that iron is a magnetic material and it, the very special chemistry of the bismuth is what makes it be ferroelectric. And, and so this is one of the first multiferroic materials that we developed. It actually existed before we started working on it, but it was not understood that it could be such a good multiferroic material, basically because historically good samples had not been made so we had new techniques that allowed us to make very good quality bismuth ferrite and also new theoretical techniques that allowed us to really understand how the ferroelectricity and and the magnetism could coexist in this material. It's also a very nice material because it's completely non-toxic so iron and bismuth is what you take when you have an upset, upset stomach and oxygen of course is It's what we breathe every day. So it's an earth-abundant and environmentally benign material. So actually, to be precise, it was bismuth ferrite that really boosted Nicola's career. It was, I think, the first really successful multiferrogs. We tried some before then that were close variations, but didn't quite capture all of the, the properties. So we were able to show that it has a very large ferroelectric, very strong ferroelectricity at room temperature. The magnetism is also very strong and also at room temperature. It's not perfectly ideal. We, the magnetic properties are not exactly what we would like. We have to kind of trick them a little bit to do what we want, but it, it, it's almost as close as you can get to being an ideal multiferroic. And so it, it was almost a kind of model material for us in understanding the basic physics, and it's also now probably the most promising material in terms of applications. We are speaking about everything Nicola Spalding does today. We heard why she plays the clarinet rather than the cello and why she studied sciences rather than music. So where did all of this actually begin? So I grew up in the northeast of England in a small, well, not so small, kind of middle-sized town called Sunderland, close to, close to Newcastle. So my family's not academic, um, but in school I enjoyed, I kind of enjoyed everything. I guess I was kind of nerdy. Um, But I particularly, I, I liked science and math a lot, but I also liked, I liked other things. Um, and then in the UK school system, one has to um, choose quite early, actually, to specialize. And um, I'm not sure how much I really thought it through. When I was 15, I chose the kind of science, science track. I enjoyed it. And yeah, I think also because I found it came... Quite naturally, I was one of those people who didn't have to work as hard as some to, to understand things, maybe. And, um, and so, of course, it's quite gratifying if you find something um, to be not, not so much of a struggle. After graduating from Cambridge, Nicola lived in the U.S. much of her life. 
When I moved from the UK to California to study for my PhD, I think I had not anticipated that there would be such a culture shock. I thought that linguistically the countries were the same, which even that's not really the case, even though the formal language is English. The colloquial language is very different in the two places. So even as a native speaker, communication is different. And then she moved to Switzerland eight years ago. The transition from the US to Switzerland, it's certainly facilitated by the fact that it's just extremely comfortable and straightforward to move to Switzerland. It's very clear how things work. It's very clear what the rules are. It's very clear exactly how you should put out your rubbish and when. You know, everything is very um, organized and it's very, that was a very comfortable transition. Nicola is somewhat working on a technological vision. Her research might change the future of electronics. When Nicola is teaching, she uses all kinds of devices. No surprise that she uses an interactive online tool. But also the old-fashioned blackboard and an overhead projector with neatly handwritten foils. Nicola asked her students to ask her really hard questions. I think the students are sometimes a bit surprised, or it's good for the students to learn that sometimes I, I don't know, you know, they have questions and I just don't know the answer. And then we can try and find out, or maybe I'll, maybe somebody else in the class does know, because there might be another student who did a research project in that really specific topic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe that's something a little strange for students to, to see that often their professors actually don't know. It's a good, good thing to learn. Yeah, I'd never heard that, actually. Because I was so concentrated on that little, little. But we should be more mezzo piano rather, I think, maybe. And these guys more mezzo forte. Yeah. Playing music is about learning a piece and not only playing in tune, but also finding a way to play in sync with one another. Here as a clarinet quintet. One practices, makes mistakes, practices again, until it sounds right. It's a measure-by-measure -measure process. What about science? How important is it to get things wrong to actually move forward? Oh, I think most of the time we get things wrong. Well, most things, maybe not wrong, but most things don't work or most ideas turn out to be not right. And um, yeah, I think it's very, I, I think it would be, maybe it's not important if we could be right all the time, that would be great. But it's almost never that one um, comes up with a good idea every time. There has to be a lot of bad ideas to come up with some good ones. And I think if we have an idea and we do some calculations or we do an experiment and we find that the idea was wrong, this is also extremely important because it means we, we learn something new. If we have an idea and we confirm it, it's in some ways a little, little bit less interesting because we don't learn anything new. What we already thought was correct. So, so I like it very much when my students prove me wrong. One thing that fascinates me about you, observing you teaching or playing an instrument or watching videos about you, is that you're, when you do something, you're extremely focused. It's like mm. you have some kind of a Ritalin button. Like you don't need Ritalin. <laughs> As if you just know you can really focus and you don't see anything else except for what you're doing. Is that something that you worked on or is it just something that you have? 
Yeah, I think that's probably true, that I can be quite single-minded, yeah. Um, but single-minded sounds negative. I mean it in a very mm -hmm. positive way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, no, I think I can, I, I think I can, I, I think I can focus well. I think I manage my, my time very effectively also. Going back to the prizes, <laughs> to all the um, awards that you got, Is there also a downside to winning so many awards and being in the spotlight? Um. Podcast version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there a downside? You have to do all these dumb podcasts, you know? <laughs> well, I told you, Nicola doesn't like to be in the spotlight of her fame. And the guy you just heard in the background who asked for the podcast version answer... That's the co-producer of the podcast, Tisvachta. But now back to Nicola and possible downsides of the upside of awards. I guess it's a little hard to... It, yeah, one has to be sure to not get distracted. And I guess if one had a tendency to have a huge ego, it could really get stoked very strongly and really fueled. By yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly... Um, There are many advantages. That, so the recognition, of course, makes it easier to secure funding and to attract really excellent students in order to, to do one's research. Being able to stay focused and, and continuing to be able to carve out research time does become harder. I'm not sure how much of that is connected with awards, but just as become, one becomes more senior and there's more demands on your time, and um, both in terms of administration and setting research direction and policy and also in um, you know lecturing and, and attending conferences and and that is probably I don't want to use the word worse um, there are probably even more requests the more well known that, that some that someone is so I'd say it does get harder and harder to reserve time for thinking speaking about time and tempo Nicola's yeah, days yeah, seem to have more hours than, let's say, mine. Maybe it's because her tempo is high and yet she's extremely focused when she does one thing, be it teaching, researching, climbing, or playing the clarinet. Yes, the rehearsal was a lot of fun. It's always fun to play. So, I'm not sure sometimes how often we, how much we actually rehearse and how much we just play, but it's very fun to play. Nicola has things to do. She's busy. She doesn't have time to only practice the clarinet. Music for lunch is over now. Everyone packs up their instruments. Nicola, the professor of materials theory, has her clarinet in a special bag on her back. And in quick steps, she heads out of the room and into the cafeteria, grabs a sandwich, and goes to her office. In this episode of the ETH podcast, you heard Nicola Spalden speak. She is the professor of materials theory in the Department of Materials at ETH Zurich. She's also the one who played the clarinet in this episode. And my name is Jennifer Kakshori. I produced this podcast together with Thies Wachter's Audio Story Lab and with sound designer Luki Fritz. <laughs>